off my game, I can just tell you right now, because ever since the young adult ministry came together, um, I've always had a pretty good luck with having young adults do worship. When Cheyenne and the group kind of started singing the first time they sang, I have them recorded on my phone, and so many times they have blessed me. And I've been thinking about what that would be like to put that in front of the church and have you guys get a chance to see what happens across the street every other Mondays when our young adults get together. And our young adults are such a blessing because they really do love one another. And so that's why it's so cool for me to share with you that this morning, because that's kind of my heart. I'm someone who loves to love some other people, and God has blessed me with those young adults, and I'm so grateful for that. And then next week, we'll finish up with um, loving our neighbors. So if you've been here in the past, and it sounds a little bit, you know, I, I heard this, that's good. Sometimes we need to say it, say it again, and repeat it to kind of drive it home. But as you also look around, too, realize the church is almost 100 new adults in the last year. So we also want to make consideration for the fact that not everyone knows what we know. And we want to bring everyone kind of up to speed. And because of that, we, we believe that's why God continues to bless. I'm going to give you some amazing exponential numbers of his blessing when we talk about the life group component of this at the end of the message. If you have a Bible, though, we've got to turn really quickly before I pray to John 13.34. John 13.34. This sets up everything. So before you can even pray, you have to read this. Get some of that public reading and just be blessed and encouraged by something that simplifies what we're going to talk about today. John 13, 34. How far can I move this without knocking it over? All right. And knocking Cheyenne stuff over. All right, here we go. I'm going to read from NIV. If you feel like reading with me, let's go old school. How about this? Ready? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for the morning and I thank you for the opportunity that's presented every time we come to this place. And whether it's at a church meeting, whether it's in a house, wherever it is, Father, we know that when we open your word up and we ask your spirit to speak, you always do. And so we're so grateful for that. And as we come to this component of who we are in Christ the idea that one another, serving one another, caring for one another, loving one another is so important. And I pray, Father, with the simplicity that can only come from the Spirit of God that we can comprehend this, that we can be blessed and encouraged by it. And it can continue to change who we are because sometimes we know and we don't do anything about it. So I pray today, Father, that you release that component of our faith, that we really would begin to prioritize, as you have said, a new commandment you give us to love one another. I pray that you bless this morning. We ask your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Now, when he says this is a new commandment, those Bible scholars in here should know that does, that doesn't really sound that familiar because you shall love your neighbor as yourself has already existed, right? Are you Leviticus fans in here? A lot of Leviticus fans, right? Woo, love that Leviticus. You know, this is something that has been around for a long time. And when Leviticus said you should love your neighbor as yourself, this principle was something that was already known. So it's interesting that, that he starts off by saying it's a new command. Well, that it's, it sounds redundant. If it's a new command, how can it be? Now, this is where the wordsmithing of the word love comes into play. So, you know, we're the American culture. We love everything. We love hamburgers. We love dogs. We love cats. We love the Dodgers. Some of you don't. Um, you know, we love. And so we just say love, and it just covers the whole gamut, right? But thankfully, this is where just a little bit of wordsmithing helps out because love in the Bible has three specific and a fourth kind of understood. So this is actually kind of the word phileo, okay? Philadelphia, 
right? This is the love of a friend, right? This is a, this is a medium level kind of a David and Jonathan, right? The phileo that you have for someone. So when he's saying Old Testament, love your neighbors, be good, that was the initial standard. But he's giving them a new standard now to love one another, a new priority. And because of that, he moves up the stage to agape or agapeo, right? And this is a whole new way to love. This is called the unconditional love of Christ. That's crucial because where the first one said, hey, love your neighbor, that's kind of a good thing. This new one says, hey, love your enemies. That's a game changer, right? I heard somebody say, oh, that's a game changer, right? See, if your neighbor is good and he, and he, and he makes barbecue all the time, super good. If you have a neighbor like some of us do, that's at his best day, difficult. And on his worst day, troublesome. It's a bit of a challenge. And I'm telling you that as a pastor who's in a situation who has to live that out every day. My neighbor is questionable. And my neighbor asks me every day, are you going to talk to me? Or are you going to treat me like the world does? And I'm telling you, it's a conversation Eric and I often have. Well, I love him unconditionally. If you say it, you better do it, right? Because we're going to talk about what happens if not. So that's what he's saying. I want you to step it up a whole new level. Matter of fact, I want you to lay down your life. There is no greater love that you could have than to lay down your life for who? One another, for a friend. This idea of one another is not something new. This is something that's been part of it the whole time. And so he's saying, I want you to know that. The question is, do you know that? Vic, can you put up that slide? Recently, I had something happen to me, so I got to share it with you guys. I'm not much of a one another by myself person, but I went to the Sierras to go fishing and I found this little stream. And the problem was my brother didn't go with me, who always goes. My son didn't go with me, who usually goes. Or my son-in-law, who usually bails me out. So I had to go to the Sierras for the first time in my life by myself. That's not very nice, Eric. <laughs> and uh, part of my discovery in the Sierras is I love to show other people how to fish. That's just, it's not just my passion. I love showing people how to fish. But as I always do, I often try to find what I call new water. And I found this cool little stream, and it's literally just three feet across. As you can see it, it's nothing but below that little section right there is about a mile and a half of open stream. And where I'm standing is actually a little reservoir. So it pins the stream. And so I thought, right here, all these fish for all these years cannot get past this. I guarantee you, Jeff, I'm going to talk to myself just like that, right? <laughs> and so I, I put a cricket on and I put it out there and I caught a fish and I put another cricket on and I caught a fish. I literally caught a fish almost every single, you just had to throw it in the current every single time out there, which is cool. But all of a sudden, a bunch of them jumped out, and so I had a bunch of extra crickets, so I just threw them all on the hook, which was kind of masochistic in a way, in the sense that it looked like a giant potpourri, and I was just like, what am I going to do? I can't put them back in the bottle. And as soon as I threw it in the current, as soon as it got to the back of that eddy and it kind of rolled up the side, I see this giant fish just come up and smash it, and it's going against the current, and I'm jumping and screaming like Snoopy out there, screaming and yelling. Victoria, can you put the next slide on? About 30 minutes later on two-pound test... I caught a 15-pound, 15-inch German brown from a little teeny small stream. And I was going bonkers trying to show it to people. And, and everything about my whole life came crashing down. You know why? I was by myself. I mean, I'm sure the neighborhood, if there is a small neighborhood, it, was, it had to have been entertaining. Because I, I was Charlie Brown in it. I was, and then I just I did what every good fisherman does. I took out my phone and I went to Snapchat and I started with that pseudo community. And then after that, I went to my Instagram account 
And I just realized, you know, how sad am I? How sad is this? That the, the best thing that I could possibly do with my life is wait for an I heart your picture. Like, I needed that affirmation so much. You know what I realized? God's created us to do that. God has created us for one another. And when you work against God in something that's so simple, you have to reach out to these pseudo communities. Have you ever wondered why these communities are blowing up? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, what's so exciting about 144 characters? I don't know. You know go here, go there. They're doing. We need these pseudo communities because we're replacing the face-to-face transitional real life component of our life with pseudo life. Right? I'm all my millennials. You better be shaking your head, right? Just go to a restaurant now and watch everyone 25 and under. And it's not the menu they're looking at. They'll actually be looking at pictures of what other people are posting at other places rather than talking to you at the restaurant you're at. It's super frustrating for me. And I started looking at some statistics. You know, we used to have about 100 people in our sphere of influence, our group, right? And we used to have about three or four good friends. Now we have 150 to 200 people in our sphere of influence. But we average about two close friends. And of that two close friends, when they went and specifically asked them, how many of those people are your best friends? Only 50% answered one. One. We have doubled and tripled and magnified the sheer volume of people speaking into our life through pseudo life. But when it comes to when the world breaks down 3 a.m., and someone you know is taking their life or someone's standing on a ledge, who are you actually going to call? Your pseudo world? And is it any wonder why people are so frustrated? You know what the worst part of the statistics were? The number of people originally under 100 people that had zero friends was about 10%. You know what the new number is now that our community is being extended 150, 200 people? 25% consider Zero people in their sphere of influence, their best or close friend. We got a problem here, guys. The phone's ringing and no one's answering it. And we're wondering, what the heck have we done to the one another's that God said is so important? We've been created to be in these relationships and we have to go back to the Bible. We have to go back to like Genesis chapter 2. And as Jesus and God and the Spirit are working through the creation account... Every time he creates, he steps back and he looks at his situation and he says, that is good. Like an artist, right? This is good. The heavens, the earth, the trees, the plants, the all components of creation. Good, beautiful, bellissimo if he's Italian, right? Bellissimo, beautiful, perfect. And all of a sudden in Genesis 2.18, one component, one time we see this, he steps back. And this guy that he breathed air into, Adam, Adam, it's no bueno. What's he say in Genesis 2.18? It's not good that man should be alone. From the very institution of who we are, God recognizes that we were not created to be alone. The only time he ever says not good about anything that he creates. So what does he do? He, fa- he fashions and creates someone for her, for him. The perfect spouse, the perfect partner. You know, that's who God is. He continued that whole kind of concept of creating things for people and relationships. When you look at the Ten Commandments, when you really kind of understand the behind the scenes of the Ten Commandments, those first four commandments exclusively speak about what? 
relationship with God. No other gods before me. No forms of idolatry. Do not use my name in vain. And keep this day, Saturday, Sunday, whatever it is, holy. Why? Because if you do those first four things, your relationship with me is going to allow you to have correct relationship with others. The first four focuses on him. Then the next six flow out of that. Just like the stream as we talked about the percolation flowing out. The next six are your relationships with one another. Um, Don't lie. Honor your mother and father. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't break your marriage covenants and don't covet. Any one of those are devastating to a relationship with another person. If I spend my time lying to you, at some point when you discover that, that's going to break the relationship that we have. See, a lot of people say, Jeff, you're a chaplain, you're a pastor. What religion is your church? And I said, we're not a religion. And that kind of freaks them out. Really? Well, we might be Protestant by default, but I'm in a relationship with God. My relationship with him is living and breathing and active. Right, Michael? Every day it is. Every day. Because that's who he is. He's a relational God. And once he focused that on us, he said, you know what? Here's the situation. I don't want you to live in isolation, and I don't want you to live alone. That's not how I created you. Instead, I want you to continue to work through the problems together. But instead, our pseudo-communities have taken over. Our online life is superseding our face-to-face life. And so now we have to turn back to Genesis 3. And figure out what actually happened to relationships. Where is it? So you turn with me. Genesis 3. Let's reread this account. When did it break? When did it all fall apart? Everything was so good. But something happened. Genesis 3, 6 through 13. I'll tell you what happened. Sin enters into the equation. And when sin enters into the equation, the concept of the garden, the initial relationship that God instituted, that he will reinstitute when he comes again one day, the perfect transparent, wholesome relationship that he instituted completely gets trashed. I call it paradise lost. So let's read with us as we find out the account of how paradise was lost. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good, good food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was also with her and he ate it. Then their eyes were both opened And they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And when the Lord called to him, he said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, not me. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you hear all those components in brokenness? Blame shifting. Not me, them. Shame. I heard. And then ultimately, what does it cause us to do? Hide. Instead of the transparency to be who we are, to stand in front of the Lord naked and unashamed, all of a sudden shame enters in. It's a new posture, a posture we were not designed to be in, and yet it's here. 
So now we kind of mirror that in our own lives. We're, we're happy to present to this world this online kind of facade of who we are. This idea that social media is really representing me well. Let me show you the pictures of my life. Let me Snapchat some photos of me and my family and how happy we are. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is cover that up. So we can be known by people. This is, this is Kelly and I know him, but not known. Who is Kelly really? What is he all about? What happens when Kelly leaves this building and struggles in life? Do I actually know? The good thing is, I know Kelly. And if he ever wants to call me, I hope he feels he can. Come in, Spirit of God. <laughs> what else do you do when something like that happens, Eric? Is there... <laughs> Kelly, you have a lot of power, my brother. <laughs> Mom, Dad... We probably should talk about the boy over here. Okay, good. We needed that. A moment of levity. Thank you for that. The idea is it's a lot easier to tell somebody, hey, talk about the weather. Talk about the game today. Talk about all the things that's superficial, right? So we can kind of hold that fake kind of credentials with people like, I'm here, but I'm not really here, right? So then all of a sudden you, you're struggling with stuff. You, your, your faith is struggling, whatever. You come to church. It's Sunday morning. It's a perfect time. Hey, how are you doing today? We good. We good. How many times? I mean, that's like the standard answer for about 85 to 90% of people that you ever... How you doing? Good. Good. Or good. Right? Because it's just so much easier. Who are we to impose on someone with what's really going on? Fig leaves all over again. Right? The great facade. But doesn't that... That doesn't sound like what God intended. Right? Because it's not. He said in John 10, 10, I tell you guys, you 12 disciples of mine, I tell you that I have come that you might have life and have it a whole new way to the full, to the overflow. So that when someone comes to you deep, dark, and depressed, you're not afraid. You don't have anything to give from. You say, come in, sit down, tell me what's going on. Share with me what's going on. It's a whole new way of understanding who we are and how we operate. He wants us to take that then, not only to one another, but to our extended family. You see, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Wow, the cross got a lot smaller, Pete. We had the jumbo cross earlier in the week, and then you didn't do that? Well, this is just one of those magical days. I had the 15-foot cross, and I was looking for it up here, and I got the little one there. Okay. On the cross, Jesus didn't just die for sins. Is that important? Uh, yeah, that kind of changes the game. But what he did was he instituted all the brokenness of that former relationship and he reestablishes that I'm reconnecting you. I'm going to make a mosaic of the broken situation and remind you of what it could be. I'm going to restore something that's broken so that you guys can stop hiding, so that we can be more transparent. Because of the kindness of our Heavenly Father, I want all of you to know we're all in transition. We are all currently working through sanctification and we can be open and we can be honest and we can be transparent. And that's the only way that true light can flow through us. That's why he gave us 59 opportunities in the New Testament. 59 separate times that he talked about the one another's. I told my, I told my wife, what are you talking about? The one another's. One another's. Yeah, the one another's. You, is that not just, you say one another's, that just doesn't sound like, oh yeah, the one another's. There's 59 of them in the New Testament. How is it that we're not like, oh, yeah, the one and others? I mean, it should be a major part of what we think of. And when we think about that, do you think about 16 of them say one thing? Love. 
Right? Didn't That was the opening line. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you... So the ways we treat someone, part of them say this, accept, tolerate, forgive, bear with, serve, give preference to, comfort. You guys looking for a great personal devotional time? Study the one another's. Spend time every day contemplating and supplication the one another's and what he's given us to because... As many of them are for it, it also has some that say, don't do this. Don't lie again. Don't pass judgment. Don't slander. Don't grumble. And don't be conceited because being conceited is going to lead to you devouring the very relationship to that which to me is so significant. And isn't that a wonder? Because the absolute truth is building relationships with one another is an act of love. It's an act of who God has instituted with us. And that's why it's inseparable. Our witness is inseparable from the relationships that we have from other people. The way you treat other people, that shows whether or not to me. It's a manifestation. It's like, don't tell me that you are this. Don't tell me you're a lemon tree or an orange tree. Let the juice and the life that you live, let the flow of who you are say with the with the beautiful smell that an, or, an orange tree can tell you what it is from a distance. Have any of you guys ever had orange trees in your backyards? A lemon tree can speak to you. You don't need to tell people, hey, I'm a lemon tree, in case you didn't know. Let the fruit of your life, let the life that you're living, because they're, in, they're, they're tied together in such a way that you don't have to tell people. We're too busy telling people about our faith rather than living our faith. Think about that for like just the church for a second. What is the church ultimately more known for right now? What we're for or what we're against? But I mean, the whole point of the scripture was it was always about what Jesus was for. He warned about the things to not be against. He never said, also, bring these into play every once in a while. These are the things that we're for, and this is what we should be known for. And then don't have any role with this, because remember, conceited leads to devouring And I think the church and some of us have devoured more people than we've actually led to the cross and said, you know what, this is where God reconciled me. I was once where you stood. And in that moment, the Lord showed me compassion and he reconciled me. And he instituted with me not a religion. You are now this affiliation. And no, he said, you are now my family. Dario came in late. I feel bad that we only had the front row for you. Like, bum, bum, bum. You go to the front row. You, know? you got your family with you and stuff like that. It's like, no, your family. I, I wish we could open up the back for you and had a, you know, a beautiful thing. What a blessing your family is, right? You're not a burden. Sunday is not a burden. If any of you feel like Sunday is a burden to you, please come talk to me after the service. Sunday is a blessing. The fact that you get to walk with the Lord and be in relationship with him is a blessing. And if you don't have that perspective, then you're missing out on the joy that surpasses all things because you're supposed to consider it all joy, the transition that we're in right now. And you know what? I've experienced some times in my life when some people have said some things to me that were not easy to hear. Have you ever experienced that? Someone says something to you? Because we were created for community. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen states this, that iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens in other words. See, because we have relationship with one another, it allows God to create this whole new thing, community, peoples, right? You have peoples that you're doing life with, and these people can speak truth into you. And I was a young man, and I owned a business, and we were having a grand celebration one day, and some guy walked up to me, and he said, 
Jeff, congratulations on everything your business has accomplished. You, you really made it. And I was not being very wise at the time, and I used a very select word in the conversation as I responded back to him. Not proud of that, but I remember that moment because he set his food down, and he looked at me, and he said, you know what, Jeff? I can't do business with a foul mouth little punk. And we had just done $1 million in sales our first year. I was not a little punk. We were the up-and-coming stars of the marble and granite industry. And we had 500 people in our parking lot having this amazing sale, celebrating what we had done. But this man spoke wisdom into my life, and he sharpened me like a to-the-bone moment of my life. And I said, you know what? I can either respond harshness, throw my food at him, it's my party, cry if I want to. Or I can walk upstairs to my office and say, who have I become? The community that you've put me in and the gifting that you've given me, this is what I've become. I, I don't accept it. And that's why today I've parted with select vernacular. There's a lot of fishermen that have select vernacular. And I always remind them, I know, I know how to speak that language. I just choose not to speak it anymore. Later in my college life, a very interesting professor, a female professor, interesting for iron, said, you know what, Jeff, it seems to me you've grown up in a very comfortable environment. You're now at Azusa, you're in this comfortment theology program. The world you live in seems very comfortable. The people you speak to all seem the same and comfortable. How would you like to come to South L.A. and preach at my church? Hmm. That doesn't sound comfortable. (laughs) I was that day the only person that was scared for their life. And the Lord shook me to the core and said, these are my people. You become officially blind today. There's one race, the human race, and they're all mine. It changed my ministry. To date, I see no color. I love all people equally. Because iron sharpens iron in such a way that it cuts to the core. And it creates new community. You know, my wife gets to shape me. For 33 years, she's been shaping me. And every single day, you have the opportunity to be shaped by other people in your life. Your pseudo-community does not shape you. It wrecks you. It judges you. Only those people who love you have a right to speak truth into your life. I pray that you call them out and appreciate them for who they are. Because the reality is the fingerprints of all those people, that teacher in school, the unknown man who called me out for my vernacular, my wife, even in the church, you know, I got to this church and I had a bad four months. The last church I was at, the, the ending time of my 12 years with them was not as good as the first 11 years. You know, sometimes you carry baggage with you and you don't know why. Even pastors. And in a conversation within the first three months in this building, somebody said something and the hair on the back of my neck rose up and I literally threatened one of the staff. It wasn't as funny then as it, I hear it now in my head, but... Uh, Don was talking to me about doing something, and, I, and he said something, and I said, I said, you better not ever take my daughter or something like that. I kill you or something like that. And my brain, I heard it come out, and then I saw his face, and I realized this. You have to be alert about what's going on in your mind because the devil's roaming around like a lion, right? He's looking who he can devour. If you're in the pack, if you're in the community... The lion stands down. But as soon as you get a little weak, as soon as you get a little wounded, as soon as there's a little hitch in your giddy-up, Brother Sundell, you need to stay close. So as soon as you get a little hitch in your giddy-up and the pack is moving and you're a little bit back, 
boom, right? The lion, he focuses in on you. And in that moment, even here in the church as I first started, I could feel it on my neck again. I could feel that. What have you done, Jeff? Who have you become? One of the hardest apologies I've ever had to make. But you know what? That's why Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering. Don't forsake the community that God has given you. Why? Because Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses from an enemy. Do you consider your friends faithful? Are you willing to let them speak into your life? Because I had to earn Don's friendship at that point. I had to, I had to start over. But I can tell you a year later, Don and I are probably closer than a lot of people in his life. Because wedges like that can either drive you apart, they can break your marriage apart, or they can drive you back to one another so you realize something. Just how important community and one another are to our Father in Heaven. Have you ever thought about our Father in Heaven? Father, Son, Spirit, community. We are a representation of our Father. Why wouldn't the devil want to drive us apart? Why wouldn't the devil want to take away our joy? Remember that giant bolt, light bulb that Eric had last week? His favorite little Edison bulb? The component of being connected to the Lord signifies that through connection, the Spirit of God then flows into us, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. But within that light bulb is something called the filament, right? That little brass wire, it seems so insignificant. By the way, if you bump one of those lights you'll find out just how significant the little brass wire is. Because even one little tiny hair-like brass wire that's broken, guess what it does to the bulb? Giant paperweight. There is no surgery on filament inside of a bulb. It literally becomes trash. Those little filaments are a lot like, I think, like our life group. I feel like that's like a great explanation of how life group and community works. Christ, the Spirit of God, it flows through us, and then that filament radiates out the life group the people that we share life with, it flows out from that into everyone around us, and then the light is actually seen. That's the kind of authentic community that God intended us to have. But how many of us fight that? You know, it's in groups that you can feel safe and start to discuss things that you hear on Sunday. You know, part of the reason why we ask the small groups to work on the Sunday message, the Sunday message is a culmination of 30, 40, 50, 60 hours worth of labor. It's like a 15-layer lasagna. When we serve it on Sunday, it's only 20, 30, 40 minutes. It's like the first two, three layers of it. What we're hoping is that you take it to the life group and in the safety and community of your life group and at the varying levels of walking with the Lord and nuance with the Lord and maybe even not knowing the Lord in community, you begin to tear that thing apart. Oh, that's ricotta cheese. That's without lever. Oh, that's this kind of thing. Oh, that's sauce. That, you know, and all of a sudden you unravel this thick, thick word of God that's so much richer that how many of you have heard the same message taught 1500 times and all of a sudden one day you hear something you're like, what? Well, I've, I've done Ephesians. I have taught Ephesians three times full. That last sessions that we did in Ephesians, there was at least three things that I said, no way. I've, I cannot believe I've missed that. There's no way I missed that. Perfectly clear, never understood before. In one of our life groups, we had a young man who was not a believer anymore because he lost his family members. And his animosity to the Lord was so great, he renounced his faith. Yet he came to our life group. He's not here, by the way. This is in my former church. 
He came to our life group every single week. And the one thing he did to our life group is he drew us together stronger and stronger. Because we knew every week for him was a massive struggle. Just to open his mouth and say anything from God's word was a struggle. Because he didn't believe. And he wanted everyone to know, I don't believe. And I am extremely angry with the Lord. Yet Ernie, my buddy Ernie, I still pray for him too. Yet Ernie taught me things about the message that I was teaching because it was a similar thing. I learned that before, so it's something I've cared. The message through Ernie's eyes took on a whole new meaning and a whole new level of understanding. And so I would even say that in life groups, regardless of your spiritual stature, God will show to you and expose to you a whole new level of his word that you're in. it's impossible to obtain in this building. And I think that's why life groups are so important to us. You know, we're a church of a couple hundred and on the grow. But as of this week, when we actually tallied the number of life groups that we have, I would like to tell you something. It is astonishing that we have in a church of 200 and something people, we have over 200 people in varied life groups. And that, darling, you're right. That I believe that is the reason why 2018 was the way that it was. We have figured out something that God has made clear that a lot of other churches have not seen the value of. Other churches could labor their entire life, and if they got 6% or 8% or 20%, they would be beating the curve by untold fortunes. This church is being blessed. And if you happen to be outside of a life group right now, I can just tell you, you're missing out on one of the best things that this church has to offer. It's not because Eric and I don't love you and we don't feel like Sunday is not sufficient. It's more than sufficient. There's possibility of things could get started here, but it is in life group that you are going to be known. I've been in them my whole life and I've seen that to be true. And I just want to tell you, in a life group, I'm not the pastor. In a life group, I'm not the leader. In my life group with the young adults, even when I'm teaching, I'm a participant in God's word. And in light of that, you too have the opportunity to walk with people from different stages of life in different segments, all in transition on the way up the mountain, right? And I'm going up the mountain as we work at that and we're in different places. And the wisdom of one person can be 18 and the wisdom of another could be 80 or 90. And all those voices together help you understand one thing, that you were created in community, that you were created to have relationships with one another. And that anytime you work against that in your marriage in your family life, in your personal life, at your work, anytime you allow your relationships to be broken down and you don't do whatever it takes to restore those, you are giving the devil a chance to hobble you and move you outside the pack. And you can be assured one thing. I have some nature lovers in my young adults ministry and they keep me on the up and up about showing pictures of dead trout, which bothered some of them. My, my Disneyland princess told me, you're not going to really show a picture of dead fish, are you? Yes, my Disneyland princess. I did show a picture of a dead fish. But I will tell you this. As soon as you feel the sting and that little hobbling maneuver from the devil, you better find that one or two people in your life that you trust. You better go to them as quickly as possible. And you better be as transparent as it is to be and say, you know what? I got bit. And I got to get this poison out of me. If not, I'm going to leave the pack. I'm going to become a stray. And be assured one thing in the animal kingdom... It does not matter who you are or where you come from or what you know. If you're a stray and there's a predator, it's devastating. Watch one of the Nat Nat Geo segments on any time a predator actually takes an animal. It's, It's hard to watch. It's not just cruel and barbaric. It's It's not how they were intended to be, right? Since the garden, everything is broken. 
Since the garden, we're living in a situation that's not the way that God intended it to be. And he will restore it one day. But in the meantime, it's up to us to understand where it is that we're at and what it is he's trying to do. You know, I could tell you about how great God is and how spectacular community is. Or I could invite one of the young adults up here who I feel like there's so many of them. Is too good? Or do you want me to use the other one, Ben? Use the announcement one. Okay. Push this red button. Chris, you want to come up here really quick? It's not working yet, so you're probably going to have to scream. I push the red button. Okay, there you go. Cool. Chris, Chris is one of uh, quite a few people that's in the young adult ministry, but I just feel like Chris is great because he's part of the reason we started it, one of the original persons that came to the group. So he can tell you from the very beginning. Now, Chris, what is life group, uh, especially with young adults, what has it meant to you? Uh, for me, it's mostly just been a place of community and companionship with people my own age. It's just been a method of connecting with people in the church that, frankly, I didn't know where a lot of them were still here. That's true. That's true. And now that you've kind of been there from the beginning, like it was you and Lauren and, and Jimmy, we had like three or four in that first meeting. What do you think one of the most beneficial things of being part of that life group has been? Probably just the discussion between each of us that are a part of it, the different perspectives that each of us have and experiences through life, and hearing the different ways people break down and process what's going down in their life and how it relates to what we've learned on Sunday or whatever passages we're going through. Absolutely true. Um, as you, as we continue to kind of build life group and we talk about, you know, your involvement, we talk about Jimmy's involvement, we always talk about Nathan, we always talk about Josh leading the group someday and do whatever. What do you think if you're, if someone's out there right now and they're thinking about joining a life group, what would be your best word of encouragement about taking a chance to go once a week or every other week when we have, what would you say is your best encouragement for them? Why haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> In the words of a millennial, why haven't you? So the risk is definitely worth the reward. I mean, yeah, there's... What else are you doing with your time that would be more valuable? And is... Frankly, it's not that hard to sacrifice one day out of every two weeks. It's kind of how I look at it. Well, that, that's why the young adults, we meet every other week because we want to allow life, time, and so we allow the off weeks time for them to go do fellowship with one another or go reach out into their community, which is next week. And so by default, you get to hear the philosophy of it. I just want to thank God for Chris really quick and pray for him. And on behalf of all my young adults, I'm so grateful. I'm sure any one of them could stand up in front of you. I would encourage you after the service, if you find a young adult, ask them. Ask them why they go. Ask them why it continues to grow. Ask them why they want to serve here and across the street because God is doing something for them at a very simple level that I think he wants to do for the whole church is to bring us back to the basics. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord that gives us a purpose and a process. Go and make disciples, love God, love one another, and love their community. Let me pray. Father God, I'm just so grateful for Chris and for all the young adults and just the ministry that they have provided here in the church, the inspiration that they have given to so many. I know for myself, every week that I come, and I see Ashley and Nathan and Josh out there helping Michelle, and then I see them working across the street to take care of a 
people's small children and just the value that the young adults already see in pouring into our elementary kids and elementary students. Father, I know that you are blessing them with it. I know that they're struggling out there. They've gotten their degrees. They're going to school. They're working. And there's a lot of things that are just not clear to them. I pray, Father, that you continue to bless them with your wisdom and your discernment because of their faithfulness to not forsake that gathering. I know that you're a good, good father. And I know that you have better things for us than we could ever give them. So I pray that you bless them, keep them, and hold them in such a way that it makes it self-evident and that we can continue to be blessed here at the church and in this town abroad, Father, because we have young adults that are being loved by God. We have adults who are in life groups, serving one another, caring for one another, and we are doing something to help people obtain this amazing gift that has been given, the gift of the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, Father. May everything we say and do continue to bless you, asking your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Chris. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and uh, as the worship team is coming up, I want to just ask you a couple of questions for you guys to think about today and with your small groups. Today, I shared with you from my heart why I feel like it's so clear that the one another's are so significant. But what is it today that you heard that you need to work on? All of us have stuff that we need to work on. I'm always working on things. I'm an avid fisherman, and I can tell you no matter how much I fish, it just reminds me of how much more stuff I have to work on. What is it about community that's keeping you from it? Are you avoiding a life group? Are you going to a life group? But are you really not being known? Are you able to participate in something without actually being in it? Are you able to come to church and use even a church like this to come and fulfill the church requirement, but not really using the church for what it's all about? Because I can tell you this, church doesn't just happen in Sunday at 10 o'clock. It often happens Saturday at 2 a.m. when someone's stranded somewhere they're not supposed to be. And they have a decision that they have to make. Am I going to call the police? Am I going to call Lyft? Am I going to call Uber? Or am I going to call someone who's close to me to get me out of a situation that I shouldn't be in? It can happen at the coffee shop down at Starbucks. It can happen at any one of the restaurants in town. Anytime you sit down and open up to have life on life, what are you doing that's causing you to avoid community? What's holding you back? Like Chris said, what... I mean, no matter what we're doing, the Mary and Martha principles still exist. No matter what you're doing that's good, is there something better for you to do? You know, one of the hardest things that Eric and I have to do is to try to figure out, okay, the church has lots of opportunities. The church has lots of things that we can do. But what's the best thing for us to do? If we just do things that are available, we could run this church into the ground in a matter of two, three weeks. That's how much the phone rings and how many opportunities exist. You always have to be asking What's the best thing to do with my time and my energy? And I want you to know something. We are so blessed to walk alongside of you as we walk together. We realize, especially like with the Barones last week, we realize that not all of us are going to be able to walk together for a lifetime. The fact that this church has legacy members, people that have literally been here, like Merv and that whole back section, guys that really have been here from the beginning, that's a blessing above and beyond. But the reality is we may only be able to walk with you for a week or a month or a year. What are you doing to allow the Lord to use that to his kingdom advantage? Because we want to walk with you. And we have staff and we have ministries that want to be part of your life. And we offer them each and every week. But it's up to you. Like Chris said, it's up to you to choose what's best for your time and your energies and your talents. You know, where you invest your time, your talents, and your resources, that's what's important to you. 
I guarantee you some of you have restaurants that are far greater than 10% of your income. And if you struggle with tithing or things like that, you're spending it out there in the world. You just think about the value of who God is and what he's given us in one another. Think about that this morning. As we sing these final songs, I pray that God will make as much sense to you today as it does to me. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for the one another's. I thank you for community. I thank you for the simplicity of your word that knocks on our door and says, hey, look, you didn't create this. Your mom and dad did back in the garden and you have been suffering from this and you've been hiding from this and you've been blame shifting from day one. I understand that. But there is a way out. There is a way through the cross that's a better way to live. And I call you to live like that. I call you to live like sons and daughters, not to stand in the mire and the muck, but to walk home to your father who's waiting for you on the road. Just turn from where you're living. Just turn from the situation that you're in and get back to the Lord. Don't wait to make a decision for Christ. Today, make a decision for Christ. Give your life to Christ. Receive the gift of salvation and jump into community with one another. Let other people sharpen you. Let other people walk with you. That we might become sons and daughters that radiate such a light that it's not just some hotel that gets to keep the light on, Father. It's your church that keeps the light on for this dark world. May Lighthouse Community be that light, not just in Costa Mesa, but here in the cities and everywhere we go. Even in Costa Rica right now, Father, we have the light of Costa Mesa shining, and we are so grateful. I pray, Father, that you never let us get too far from that. I ask it in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.